last Sunday night, a week ago tonight, we talked about how is it that we relate to one another in the body of Christ or as brothers and sisters in Christ. And we talked about those one another verses and how they are lived out in our lives. Well, tonight, I want us to focus not just on how we relate to one another inside the four walls of the church and in our spiritual relationships as believers, but how do we relate to people who live outside the four walls of our church? How do we relate to people that may be Christians, may not be Christians? How do we relate to, and here's a New Testament word, our neighbor? By the way, it's an Old Testament word too. It's used in Scripture multiple times. How do we relate to our neighbor, the ones that live right around us, the ones that we work with, the ones that we rub shoulders with outside of church, our co-workers, those that live in our neighborhood, directly in the sphere, our, our circle, our street, our job, even those that we would say are strangers, people we don't know. How do we relate to them? And I want to ask you a question that I really believe is being asked of us by the Spirit of God as we read Luke chapter 10. And the question is this that I want us to prayerfully ponder for the next few minutes. Are you a good neighbor? <laughs> Fill this in. And like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. Well, I'm not talking about State Farm. I'm talking about you. I'm talking about me. Us the members of Faith Real Baptist Church, the body of Christ, are we really a good neighbor? Let's take it to the next level. Not just are we a good neighbor, are we a biblical neighbor? What does it mean to be a biblical neighbor? Let's consider this. Let's ponder it. Let's think through it, meditate on it. Let's listen intently for the next few minutes as we're here in this form together as we open up the Bible. Turn with me to Luke chapter 10. Luke 10 verse 25. And behold, a certain lawyer stood up, tempting Jesus, saying, Master, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? He, Jesus, said unto him, What is written in the law? How readest thou? And he answered him, Thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, all thy soul, all thy strength, all thy mind. And... He shall love his neighbor as himself. What was just stated by this lawyer, this scribe who was trying to trick Jesus was what we call the great commandment. It was stated in the Old Testament multiple times. It's stated here in the New Testament multiple times. The great commandment. Love God and then love your neighbor as yourself. Love God Love your neighbor. Love God, love others. What's the theme of our church? Love God, love others. So he continues on. And he said unto him, Jesus said unto the man, You have answered right, this do and thou shalt live. But he, the scribe, willing to justify himself, said unto Jesus, And who is my neighbor? Boy, that's a good question. Who is my neighbor, Lord, if I'm supposed to love my neighbor? Can we really know who our neighbor is? Who's our neighbor? Jesus answering said, and then he gives this parable. It's interesting. Jesus answers the man's question with a story. And we call it story, the story of the Good Samaritan. 
It's the story of the Samaritan who showed compassion on the Jew that was beaten and left for dead. So Christ begins to walk this man through this story. Here's what he said. A certain man went down from Jerusalem to Jericho and he fell among thieves which stripped him of his raiment, wounded him, departed, and leaving him half dead. And by chance, verse 31, there came down a certain priest that way. And when he saw him, he passed by on the other side. And likewise a Levite, when he was at the place, came, looked on the man, and he passed by on the other side. Verse 33, but a certain Samaritan, as he journeyed, came where he was. And when he saw him, he had compassion on him. Notice the words, he went to him. He bound up his wounds, pouring in oil and wine, and sent him on his own beast, brought him to an inn, and took care of him. And on the morrow, on the morning, the next day, when he departed, he took out two pence and gave them to the host, or to the innkeeper, and said unto him, Take care of him, and whatsoever thou spendest more, when I come again, I will repay thee. So Jesus looks at the man and he said, Which now of these three thinkest thou was a neighbor unto him that fell among the thieves? Sir, who really was the good neighbor? And he said, Well, he that showed mercy on him. And then Jesus said, You go and you do thou likewise. The great commandment. Love God, love other people. Sometimes we have a big talk about loving God and yet we have little show when it comes to loving others. Especially others that aren't like us. Others that are different. They may have grown up differently. They may have come from a different region of the country or even a different part of the world. They don't talk like we do. Their dialect is different. Their accent is different. They may not have the same customs, culture that we have. They may not have the same background. Their personality may be different. They might get on our nerves. How do we treat people that are different from us? How do we treat people that are not in our circle? I like what Ed Stetzer said. He said the great commandment of Jesus is not optional. Many times I'm afraid, Faith Church, that I treat it like it is. That I treat this biblical mandate of neighboring like it's something I can pick and choose. Well, how can I really be a good neighbor? Jesus used the example of this Samaritan to show us how to truly and biblically neighbor. So let me give us three thoughts. Number one. If we're going to be a biblical neighbor, then we must first of all eliminate excuses. In verse 31 and 32, it mentions that both the priest and the Levite, when they came by the man who was beaten and wounded, left for dead, that that they saw him, they knew he needed help, but they passed by on the other side. They did nothing to help the man. It's interesting to me, that the religious men saw the man as a nuisance to avoid. They were asking the question, not how can I help, but how can I avoid him? 
How can I justify my avoidance of this man in his pressing need? How can I move on around him and be okay in my conscience? Can I say this? How many times, folks, have we done that with people? We've turned a blind eye, a cold shoulder. We've ignored their need. And I know, I know that when I say what I'm about to say, many of us are just going to shut this off. But even with people who are broken down on the side of the road, I'm not speaking of hazarding your own life or putting your own safety in jeopardy. I am simply saying, how often do we glibly and without thought blow by somebody, pass by somebody who legitimately may have a need? Here's what I've said. Well, I'm sure they have a cell phone. I'm sure if they need help, they can call somebody. Have you ever said that? You ever done that? Here in Wayne County, it seems like evermore, we have an increasing number of homeless in the population. Those that stand on corners and in parking lots, intersections with signs, begging, asking for food and money and a handout. And I know we can't help everyone, and I know not everyone is legit. But when's the last time you stopped and you helped that person? Or at least tried to give them some food? When's the last time you quit making excuses? Maybe those two priests, or the, the priest and the Levite, by the way, these two men were supposed to be the ones who were going to help the man the most. Surely a religious person, surely somebody who's supposed to know God, a Levite, a priest, surely these spiritual people are going to be the best at helping others. And can I say this? I'm afraid many times that lost people, lost people in our community do a better job at really being a good neighbor than what sometimes we in the church do. How sad, how shameful on me. Shame on Christian. Shame on us. Maybe, maybe the Levite and the priest, they were saying this. Uh, well, I don't have time for this. I've got to get on my way. I have somewhere I need to be. I don't personally know the man, so therefore his situation doesn't affect me. Well, I can't stop and help everyone. Uh, someone else will stop. You ever said that? You ever come up with those excuses? Have you ever waged that battle in your mind? <laughs> As you drove by someone on the side of the road and you looked in your rearview mirror and you thought to yourself, well, I'm sure somebody will stop before too long. They avoided contact altogether. You see, the Samaritan didn't make excuses. He could have made plenty. He could have said, well, that, that, that guy's a Jew. I'm a Samaritan. I'm sure he doesn't like me, and I really don't care for them a whole lot. He could have made excuses, but he didn't. He could have said, well, I wonder uh, if I stop and help him, maybe the robbers are still out there uh, lurking, and they'll rob me in the process. He could have used that excuse, but he didn't. He eliminated the excuses he just went to work and helped, did what he could. If I'm going to be a biblical neighbor, I have to first of all start eliminating excuses. 
Number two, I have to purify my motives. As I think about verse 30 where it talks about the thieves, here's what it says. It says, they robbed him, they wounded him, they left him for dead. In other words, the thieves saw the man as a victim to exploit. The religious people saw the man as a nuisance to avoid. But these thieves, they said, I'll tell you what, we're going to exploit this person. So what can we get out of him? How many times do I look at other people? Do I look at a neighbor? Do I look at someone and say, hey, if I help them, what can I get out of them in return? Could they become my friend? Can they do something for me? Could I, could I get an opportunity to witness to them? And I'm not saying that's a wrong motive. I am saying we have to be careful. If the only time I help people is when I think I can use them for an illustration, just as a conscience soother, is that really a pure motive? So I've got to come before the Lord and say, Lord, purify my motives. You see, the Samaritan didn't have ulterior motives. And a biblical neighbor genuinely offers friendship to their neighbors without any strings attached. A biblical neighbor says, whether you become a Christian or not, I'm going to love you and I'm going to be your neighbor and I'm going to be Christ-like to you. Whether you attend church with me or not and accept my invitation to Easter or to the Christmas program or to revival, I'm still going to love you and treat you with kindness and compassion and dignity. I'm still going to pray for you. I'm still going to meet your need if I know you have a legitimate need to be met. See, friend, that's being a biblical neighbor. It means I'm not going to use somebody. I'm not going to exploit them for what I can get out of them in return. So first of all, it means I'm going to eliminate my excuses. Number two, I'm going to purify my motives. And then finally, number three, being a biblical neighbor means I'm going to intentionally meet needs. I'm going to meet their needs. Verse 33, 34, and 35, we see what the Samaritan did. First of all, he noticed him. He didn't just... Zoom right around him. No, he stopped. He stopped and he stooped. He got down where he was. He had compassion on him. His heart was moved. He saw the man was dying. He went to him. He interrupted his schedule. He put aside his own personal agenda. He bound up his wounds, used his own resources to do it. Then he took him to a safe place, a safe place of lodging, a place where he could rest and recover, get back on his own feet again. He put him on his own beast, whether it be a donkey or a horse or even an oxen or a camel. That means he walked and led the man He exerted his own energy, sacrificed his own comfort. He paid for it all. And he said, if he owes you anything else, when I come back through, I'll pay for it. He pulled out his wallet. Here, I'll take care of it. Wow. Do I live that way? 
Do I act that way toward other people? You see, the man took tangible steps to meet legitimate needs. I have some questions for you. Because as I look at this passage in closing, I think about verse 37, where Jesus looked at the man and He said, Hey, you go and you do likewise. That's what I want you to do. I, yeah, I know you know who the, who the neighbor was. Sure, obviously. Jesus, I can imagine, is saying, I built the story up so it would be obvious to everybody who the true neighbor was. Surely we can discern that. And if that's true, then let's go be the good neighbor. Let's follow the command of Christ. You go and do likewise. So let's apply it right where we live, right now, Faith Church, right now, right, right here in our situation. How can we do this? Question. Do you really know the names and the needs of your neighbors? Count the houses. Count eight houses all around you, okay? The two or three on either side, the two or three in front of you. Those neighbors, that when you walk out in your driveway and you count, they're right there. Your neighbors, my neighbors, do you know their names? All of them? Do you know their needs? Do you know where they're from? Do you know their background? Do you know if they know the Lord? Do you know their spiritual condition? Do you know what physical needs they may have? Do you know if they're dealing with diabetes? Do you know if they're dealing with an ailing spouse or an ailing parent? Do you know their needs? Surveys reveal that 50% of us don't know their names. <laughs> we don't know their needs. So how can we love people? How can we really love our neighbors and share the gospel with them if we don't even know their names? So here's a suggestion. Why don't you this week go spend an hour visibly in your front yard, visibly on your front porch. Just spend an hour out there this week sitting there or doing yard work. Make yourself visible. And as you're out there for that hour, be thinking, be noticing, be praying. Walk around your neighborhood this week during daylight and engage with the people you encounter. If you don't know them, introduce yourself and find out their name. Write down their name. If you already know them and know who they are, take the next step. Get to know them better. Ask them in this day of uncertainty, hey, I'm a believer in Christ Jesus. I believe the Scripture and I believe God is a prayer-hearing God. Is there any need in your life that you would let me pray for with you? You'd be surprised, ladies and gentlemen, what they'll say. Find out what a prayer need is and pray for them, with them, right in their presence. And then this week, Spend 15 minutes this week in your neighborhood on a prayer walk. Pray for your neighbors as you're walking around those 15 minutes. Pray for God to open a door to build a relationship with them. And then when you find out what their needs are, go meet their needs. Do they need groceries? 
Do they, they need an errand run for them? Do they need uh, transportation? Do they need encouragement? Do they need a listening ear? Do they need counsel and advice? Do they need money? The Lord has revealed to Christian that I have a long way to go in being a biblical neighbor. And I want God to help us, ladies and gentlemen. I want us right where we are, in our living room, wherever we are, or den, on the porch, wherever, wherever you are viewing this. Pause, stop, and ask the Lord, Lord, give me power to take these practical, tangible steps this week to improve at being a biblical neighbor. Let's pray. Our Father, thank you for how pointed and crystal clear your word is. And it is so very convicting. We need your help in order to apply it. Please help us to be biblical neighbors. In the name of Jesus we pray. Amen.